Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Why don't you stand with us? We're going to sing together to start off.
welcome them here in this place. We're glad you're here this morning. Christmas. We're so glad to see you can be seated. Want to give a shout out to our online guests as well. Thanks for tuning in. Love to have you come and meet us in person if you're able to this next Sunday. We're going to ask the ushers to come forward and receive our offering at this time. We just want to let you know that your generosity has affected thousands of people's lives this year. And we say that without hesitation that we can do so much more together than we could ever do apart, amen? If you're a guest with us here today, we're not asking a thing from you. We just want you to sit back and allow us to be a blessing to you. But if you do call Abundant Life your home, there's three ways that you can give. If you've never done that before, you can do AbundantLifeLS.com. Just go to the website and do that. There's also in the seat back right in front of you an envelope that you can use as well. Or my favorite way to do it, just text to give. And, uh, but however you give, just know this, that every dollar you give goes to see lives changed by Jesus. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just love you so much. We thank you for giving us, Lord, this undivided attention that we get from you, that we get to come into your house and just to be with your people. And uh, Lord, we're just, we're just in awe of you and what you've done for us and what you're doing through us and what you've yet to do. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given to us. Everything we have is from you. And this small gift that we give back to you today, this small percentage of what you've given that we give back to you, we pray that you would use it for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom in our hearts and in the, the hearts of those that have not yet come to Christ and for the joy of all people of which you've graciously numbered us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you're a guest with us here today, we want you to know that we are so excited that you're here. Uh, you're more than a guest. You're uh, an answer to prayer and a VIP. We know you, you could have been anywhere else, but you chose to spend your morning with us, and for that we say thank you. We have a gift for you at our Next Steps desk, which is right out in the lobby, and all we ask for you in exchange is just fill out a Next Steps card, which is in the seat back in front of you as well. And just take that the Next Steps. You'll meet some of the nicest people uh, that we have here at Abundant Life. They wanna give you a gift just to say thanks for being our guest. But there's some of you here, you're regular attenders and you're wondering what your next step is as well. And we just want you to know that the Next Steps booth out in the lobby is not just for guests. It's for our regular attenders as well. And whether your next step is gonna be baptism or um, getting into a group, we'd love to help you. Whatever that is on your journey, we wanna step alongside you and your family and make that a best next step as possible. We've got our story room as well. Some of you have a really unique story to tell, actually. Let's just get real, everybody's story is unique. Nobody can tell your story like you can. It's unique to you as a thumbprint and we wanna hear it. We've got some pastors and staff that are waiting for you in the story room just to meet you, get to know you a little more and to hear your story. So make sure you stop there before you go. We've got our Christmas Eve services, 2, 3.30 and 5 p.m. This is one of the coolest opportunities that we have to invite our lost neighbors and family members and friends and coworkers to church. You guys realize this? 81% of people, this is not a made up statistic by the way, but 81% of people uh, will come to church based off of an invite from a friend, from someone they trust. And if it's either Christmas or Easter, those percentages go up significantly. So take a risk, invite that family member or friend, 
or loved one to church, have them come with you at either the 2, the 3.30, or the 5 o'clock tomorrow. There will be child care and journey kids for three year, uh, age three and down. If you've got a child that's above the age of three, just come to the service, bring the whole family, and we're going to have a great time. Thanks for joining us today. Merry Christmas. Darkness. It's how our story begins. Prophecy foretold of a Messiah, an anointed king that would deliver us from darkness and establish his kingdom. Centuries became millennia. Kings came and went. But the one true light had not yet shined. Until one fateful night, with a star to guide the way, the due date finally arrived. He came not as a conquering king, but rather a baby in a manger. Born of a virgin, he was the light of the world, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father. He was the perfect sacrifice, forsaken and pierced for our transgressions. We are here to advance the kingdom in preparation for the King's second coming. Time is short, so work fervently, shine His light, and be living proof. His final due date is coming. The due date is on the way. Christmas is two days away. Hope you're ready. And we have been in a series called Due Date as we are celebrating this time of year, the most important due date ever in human history. Uh, the due date that God promised when Adam sinned and said there's going to be a savior king to reverse the curse for all men and all women. Revelation 22 is where we've been studying. We've actually been in a study for 18 months of the book of Revelation. We've gone line by line, verse by verse. In a Sunday afternoon study, we call the well over in the core. We'll be firing it back up in January. If you haven't been there, but you're interested in studying Revelation, there's a video commentary now on our sermon page of uh, me teaching verse by verse through the book of Revelation. We end that today with the closing words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 22. Also, I wanna share not only about Christmas Eve services tomorrow, great opportunity, candle lighting ceremony, uh, but if you're new, maybe been here a few weeks, few months, we do a dinner once a month to get to know new folks, new families, January the 6th, two weeks from today, six o'clock, over in the cafe, Six o'clock in the evening. We'd love for you to come join us. We want to get to know you. That's why we do that. So let me know if you can make it. Remember, Christmas is the celebration of the promise of a king and a kingdom. And by Revelation 22, all those promises have been fulfilled. Every prophecy related to this kingdom God promised that would last for eternity, every prophecy has now been fulfilled. In Revelation 22, all prophecies related to this king and kingdom have been fulfilled. And never forget God's promise and God's purpose from the moment he created Adam and put him in a garden and said to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's purpose has always been to establish a kingdom that would be without 
brought in a kingdom that would be without sin. That's why God gave Adam dominion and told him to fill the earth. But you guys know the story. Adam sinned. He lost dominion. And that is why Jesus said, you must be born again. Because Adam sinned. He died spiritually. That means you and I. We come into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. That's why Jesus said, marvel not, I say unto you, you must be born again. And when you put your faith in him, he's called the last Adam. And the last Adam came to reverse the curse of the first Adam. You get back all that Adam lost because of sin. You get back the image of God. And now you can become part of God's kingdom. Hallelujah. That's God's plan for man. And by Revelation 22, time has ended. We're in this other dimension known as eternity. Just imagine for a moment this dimension of eternity, this, this dimension where nothing will ever end. It lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. Currently, we are confined to time. This three-dimensional place of space and time where there's a past, there's a present, there's a future, and we're used to everything having a beginning and having an ending. But do you realize in eternity, it goes on and on and on and on. It never, ever, ever ends. You know what that means for you and I? We ought to be focused not on what we can see, but on the things we cannot see. For things that we can see is temporary, but the things we cannot yet see, they will last for eternity. And uh, I've started thinking about this this week because every single Christmas, you know, there's a new toy, there's a new fad, they come and go, they quickly fade away, yes? I mean, I've lived through enough Christmases now to see uh, these things come and go, these things that come and you know, fade away. And, and uh, I've been through a number of Christmases, and some of you have been through more than me, and I've been through a lot more than others, all right? I'm at that stage of life where some people think I'm a dinosaur, and other people think I'm still a spring chicken. It's awesome. But, but I've been through enough Christmases to say, you know, the, the fads come and go, right? I remember the 1980s. You remember the Cabbage Patch of the 80s? The Cabbage Patch doll mania. I mean, this thing was absolutely a phenomenon that took the world by storm. These little rag dolls that probably cost five bucks to produce are selling for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and they cause rioting in American malls. You had to get a Cabbage Patch doll. Where are most of them now? I'll tell you where they are. They're in somebody's basement. They're broken. And then Tickle Me Elmo came, all right? Now, in the 1990s, I was a Kansas City cop. I remember Tickle Me Elmo. You know why? Because I was hired by Toys R Us off-duty just to keep the peace. Moms and dads were fighting over Tickle Me Elmo. I watched one dad hawk his Tickle Me Elmo that he had bought for $25 on the curb of Toys R Us. He sold it for like $300. Where's those Tickle Me Elmo's now? They're probably broken in somebody's basement, probably in a box. And then, of course, there was Xbox mania. I was one of them with kids at that age in the early days, in the early 2000s. I didn't spend 3000 on mine, though. I got mine soon enough. But here's these Xboxes. And then you had, of course, the rioting that took place in American malls, 2011, two days before Christmas. Nike comes out with the latest edition of Air Jordan. And people were literally going to blows. That mob broke into the mall in Seattle over a pair of Air Jordans. They just had to have the latest edition. You realize where most of those Air Jordans are now that people spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on? I'll tell you where they are. They are worn out. They've been thrown out. And I want you to see, we go for these things honestly in time that we think really, really matter, but I'm trying to say, we need to focus on the things that really matter, the things that will last forever. 
And that's why Revelation 22, it gives us a little glimpse into this other dimension of eternity because our life is but a vapor here for a little while and then vanishing away. That means as kingdom citizens, we need to be working every single day to advance a kingdom. Here's the reality. The average American Christian, this is what we've been taught. This is what I used to think. Well, Jesus died for my sins so I could go to heaven. The end. And if that's all you think, listen carefully, we need a paradigm shift of thinking because if all you think is Jesus died so I could go to heaven, then what are we doing on earth? We're just waiting to die and go to heaven. But you need to know Jesus didn't come offering us a religion. Jesus came offering us a kingdom. And if indeed he came offering us a kingdom, not just a religion, then we need a new way of thinking because the kingdom is a call to action. See, I'm not just waiting to do my time on earth so I can die and go to heaven. No, as a kingdom citizen, I'm not waiting for anything. The kingdom has come. The kingdom lives within. And my purpose as a kingdom citizen is to let that kingdom that's on the inside invisible in some way on the outside so that it's visible. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means every single day. What should I be doing? We've, we've kind of talked about this this month along the way as we get ready for that due date, the one that it's yet to come, the second coming of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. It means I should be in every single way, in every single day, living obediently, walking submittingly. I should be worshiping in victory. I should be witnessing with urgency. And today I want to talk about this. We should be working with fervency. As kingdom citizens, we should work fervently to advance the kingdom. You see, two kingdoms are colliding. Why do we live in such a broken, busted world so full of suffering and sin and trials and tribulation? I'll tell you why. Because God created the world in perfection, but it was the sin of men that went, sent God's perfection into a state of chaos and confusion. You see, God gave Adam dominion. He was gonna be king over God's kingdom, but when Adam's sin dominion was transferred from him to Satan, so that now the God of this age, the apostle Paul called him in 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 4 is the one who's the God of this world. 1 John 5, 19, the entire world lies under the power of the wicked one. You see, we live in the middle of this tension, two kingdoms in collision. And that's why when Jesus comes, paradise lost is going to be paradise regained. What do we do in the meantime? I'll tell you what we do. As kingdom citizens, we are at war to push back the darkness of our world, to pierce the darkness with the light of heaven. And our warfare is in our work. Our warfare is in our witness. Our warfare is in our worship. Our warfare is in our walk. You see, when we walk as kingdom citizens, when we worship as kingdom citizens, when we witness as kingdom citizens, when we work as kingdom citizens, we are pushing back the kingdom of darkness and the light of heaven begins to prevail anywhere we go. In my home, in my family, in my heart, in my block, where I work. You see, that's the goal. And I want you to see that when we work fervently, God is one day going to reward us in eternity. Let's pick it up right here, Revelation 22, verses 12 through 13, as we pick it up where we left off last week in our study of Revelation 22. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus is about to sign off. These are the words of Jesus. These are the last words of the written revelation of God. These are the last words that Jesus is going to say to us until we see him personally. 
And he could have said anything to us, but this is what he wanted us to hear him say before he comes again, and we stand in his presence literally. Look at what he says, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now, he is signing off. This is the end of the written revelation of the Word of God. He says, guys, I want to leave you with this hope. First of all, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and the last. Don't worry, I got this, because I'm God. I got it all in control. All the broken pieces of the world, I'm going to put back together again. But I want you to know, in the meantime, while you're at war and you're working, I want you to know something. I am coming to reward every person according to their work. He's got a reward for every person. He's going to reward you according to your work. I want you to see that as we work fervently, he's coming with a reward, and he's going to reward us individually. It's a reward that will last for all of eternity. Here's the reality. When the king comes, he's going to reward us for the eternal works we've done in our life. Now, he says, I'm going to reward you for your works. Now, now works is kind of an in-house debate theologically. A lot of people debate what role does our good works have to do with us getting into heaven? All right, let me answer that clearly. Absolutely nothing. Because you don't get into heaven based on your work for God. You get into heaven based on God's work for you. And aren't you glad that God did that for you? Because if you had to get into heaven based on your work for God, how would you ever know when you've not finally done enough for God? That's why sometimes I'll ask somebody, well, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And sometimes they'll say, well, no. Can, can anybody know? I mean, nobody can know. How do I know I've done enough? Here's the answer. You couldn't do enough. If it depended on you to get into heaven, you could never do enough. You see, heaven is a place of perfection, and until you can become a perfect person, and let's just face it, there ain't no perfect person, amen? Yeah, don't act all self-righteous in church. You're in church, all right? Let's just, let's just, there's no perfect person. Don't act all holier than thou sitting there. No, we all need redemption, because we've all sinned. Romans 3 and verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because we couldn't get to heaven, heaven came down to us and his name is Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. You see, heaven came down in the form of a person. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14, Emmanuel being translated God with us. You see, Jesus was God with us. God himself became a man so that he could be our sacrificial lamb. He was holiness with human hands so that he could die for our sin. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. It made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross of Calvary, the sinless son of God took all all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our blame. And you see, that is why we can't get to heaven based on what we do for him. We get to heaven based solely on what he has done for us. Now watch this though, all right? Because sometimes uh, we, 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 we preach too much that, well, you know, your works don't get you into heaven as if God doesn't care about your works. He does. Watch this. Here's the reality. While we are not saved by our works, God has saved us for good works. See, we don't get accepted by God for our works, but once we have accepted God's works through the Son of God, 
then he can accept our works. All right, watch this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There really shouldn't be a debate here, should there? I don't know. I don't think you need a PhD in theology to figure this out, yes? You've been saved by grace. What's it mean to be saved? Uh, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, that's the biblical term. That's the term the New Testament uses over and over again. We need to be saved from sin's penalty. What is saved from sin's penalty? Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. There's the penalty of sin. We need to be saved from the penalty of sin. That's what it means to be saved. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. What saves you? It's not your work for God, but rather your faith in God's work for you. Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot make peace with God by your works for God. It's God's work for you that's made peace for you. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no list that you can keep, a list of things to do that's going to get you into heaven or that's going to save you. It's what God's already done for you. It's a gift. What is a gift? A gift is something you get for free. If you got to earn it, it's not a gift. If you got to buy it, it's not a gift. A gift is something that's given for free. I told you last week about my son's wish list and the crown jewel on his wish list was these really pricey boots that I had to order online, and it was a real mystery if they would ever arrive, quite frankly. Because, you know, they told me my address doesn't exist, even though I've lived there for four years. I get mail there. What do you mean it doesn't exist? Oh, I got more stories about this online shopping, guys, I'm just telling you. <laughs> I am, I'm, 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 God is growing my faith through online shopping. Yeah. I ordered my, 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 I, an espresso machine through Amazon. I didn't get an espresso machine. I got a frother. I didn't even know a frother exists. You know, I'm just not that fancy of a coffee drinker. I just, you know, a little cream and sugar, I'm good. So, what happened? So they send me a frother. Order an espresso machine. Uh, and then it's a complete quagmire returning the frother. Now I'm not going to get the espresso machine by Christmas. Irritated, but that's another. I'm sorry, God is growing my faith. It's a sanctifying work of God in my life, making more Christ-like. Patience is not one of my virtues, okay? <laughs> Miraculously, these boots arrived. And yesterday, we celebrated Christmas with my oldest son and his wife, who currently live in Northwest Arkansas. I gave these boots to him, and he unwrapped them, and there they were. And you know, the amazing thing is, even though they were pricey, and it's Christmas, Buy things for people they wouldn't buy for themselves. That's the idea. The amazing thing is he unwrapped them. I never thought one time about asking him to pay me back now. Well, maybe for a second. Maybe <laughs> just for a second. I thought it, but I didn't say it. Here's the reason why. It's a gift, right? A gift is something somebody else purchased for you. 
You see, salvation is something somebody else purchased for you. It's free. All you can do is receive it. But watch this. Heaven is not a reward. Salvation is not a reward. You see, salvation is a gift. But watch this now. There are rewards for you in heaven based on your works. Now, normally, we stop reading right here. But the whole point of the first two verses of 8 and 9 is to get to the last verse. Watch what it says right here. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, we are not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. We are his workmanship. This word right here in the Greek, translated workmanship, is a very interesting word in the Greek. The Greek word is poem, from which we get the word poem. What God is teaching is obvious. You are uniquely crafted. You are uniquely created. You are God's unique poem that he has written about you from eternity past before you were ever born. Cassidy got baptized a week ago, Cassidy. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you. She got baptized a week ago. And I love what you said in your video testimony you said something like, and I loved it, salvation for me is that now I get to be a blank canvas for God to paint beautiful colors on. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. That, that was awesome. I mean, that was good theology there. That's, that's what this verse is. You are a unique poem of God. You are unique workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, even before you were born, God knew you. He'd already written certain things about you. And while you're not saved by your works, he has created you for good works. And by the way, 22 people a week ago came after the second and third service, confessing their need for Jesus, putting their faith in him. 20 two people last week were born again. Isn't that exciting? Got a brand new beginning, a brand new canvas for God to paint. It's remarkable. We prayed for a move of God. We've been praying for awakening, for revival. It's happening, guys. God is using you. God is in you, and God is using you. I met a young man a few weeks ago right out here in front of the kids' wing, right out in front of the little play area. And I knew he hadn't been here long, I hadn't seen him really before, and, and started to get to know him, started to talk to him. He said, Pastor Phil, uh, this guy's probably at least 30, somewhere around 30 years of age. He said, I had never been to church a day in my life until about two months ago. Somebody invited me to come. Had never been to church a day in his life. Now for this church kid, I mean like I was born in the church nursery. I'm just, they, you know, my mama, she, they just skipped going to the hospital and just delivered me in the church nursery, okay? And so that was my life. I can't hardly relate. Never been to church a day in his life, uh, but somebody loved him and cared enough about him, invited him. And I started sharing the gospel with him right out there in front of the kids' wing, right, right in front of the playland. Doesn't have to be in here. You know that, right? You can do this anywhere. And I'm going to share the gospel with him. Christ died for your sin. He rose again by faith in him. He'll forgive your sin, make you a part of the kingdom. And, and I got through it. And, you know, he was welling up with tears. You know what he said? I think I've done that. I love new Christians. You know why? Because they don't know all the churchianity. They don't know all the church lingo, the, the churchianity, the, you know, Christianese. They just, I, th I think I've done that. Yeah. Well, 
I think I've been born again. Yeah, I put, I put my faith in him, yes. Uh, I met a guy out here just a few weeks ago going out of this service on this side right here by this door. And he said, uh, Pastor Phil started coming here about eight months ago. And when I came here for the first time, eight months ago, I would have said I was an atheist. But I don't think I am anymore. Yeah. Now, he didn't just show up here by himself. Somebody invited him. See, God is using you to do this. God is using you. Uh, and God is moving in people's lives to take the scales and the veil from off their eyes. And that's what happens every single time somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. If our gospel be veiled, it is veiled from them who are perishing, in whom the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded the mind of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. We need to be praying for those in our life that don't know Jesus, that haven't come to faith in Christ, because currently there's a war for their soul, two kingdoms are colliding. And as a kingdom citizen, this is what we're doing. We are pushing back the darkness with the light of the gospel and the light of heaven. Now listen carefully. God has created each of us not to be saved by our works, but once we're saved, to complete those good works. Uh, in Christ Jesus, these good works which God prepared beforehand. In other words, God has already ordained that you should complete certain eternal works in your life. Uh, so what are those eternal works? And are you using your life for the sake of eternity? Are you using your life in a way that will last forever? Are you giving your life to the things that really, really matter? If you've come to church here a long time, you've heard me say it over and over again. There are certain things I say over and over again. I don't care if you've heard me say it before. It's so important. You're going to hear me say it again and again and again. You know why? Because most of you are parents. You've got to repeat yourself. There's only two things in this world that last forever. The word of God and the souls of men. There it is, you've heard me say it. I'm glad it's starting to stick. Because if you're not giving your life for those two things, the word of God and the souls of men, you're giving your life to things that will not last and will not matter. Those are the only two things in this world that will last forever. Therefore, the only things that really, really matter, giving your life for the word of God and to redeem the souls of men, it's the eternal works for which Jesus will reward us as he establishes our level of authority and responsibility in the coming kingdom. This is what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. He will evaluate the works of our lives life and he will reward us then accordingly. Remember, you cannot lose your salvation because it's not built on your work. It's built on his work and your work cannot undo his work. That's why it's called a gift. It's free, but everything else you can lose. Awards can be won and awards can be lost. And we see this description in Romans 14.10. Don't bother turning there right now. Maybe look it up later. It's on your handout. Romans 14.10, it says these words. But why are you arguing and judging your brother? Why are you at aught with one another? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each of us must give an account of himself. You know what the Apostle Paul was saying? It is time to quit judging each other. Because there's one judge whose name is Jesus who will one day judge us all. 
and we will all stand before him and give an account of ourselves. Now understand what the judgment seat of Christ is. It's not the same thing as the great white throne judgment. There are two judgments as we stand before God in the Bible. And understand what it says in Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There are two judgments in Scripture. One is called the great white throne judgment. You can look this up on the well. Did a whole sermon, did a whole lesson on the great white throne judgment. End of Revelation chapter 20. Those unbelievers who rejected God's gracious offer of this invitation of salvation they stand before God and the books are open and guess what it says? They will be judged according to their works. Judged for their sin where they are forever separated from God in any hope of redemption. But the judgment seat of Christ is something different altogether. Judgment seat of Christ is the judgment of the believer, not the unbeliever. The judgment seat of Christ is where we stand before him and we are not judged for our sin, but rather our service to him. See, we're not judged for our sin as Christians because it's already been judged by him. All of our sin was already placed on him. It was on the cross that Jesus took the wrath of a holy God that we were due. He stood in our place. He took our punishment. He took our penalty. When he shed his blood at Calvary, our sin has already been judged. At the judgment seat of Christ, though, he's not gonna judge our sin, but rather our service to him, the works of our hands, the labor of our life and he's gonna reward us accordingly. Now, the word judgment seat, you see this word in the New Testament, it comes from the word bima. The Greek is bima seat. The bima seat was the bima, or the elevated platform of a judge that presided over an athletic competition. The ancient world, the Greek world, was uh, absolutely sports crazy, kinda like our world. Uh, that's where we get the Olympic Games from. They also had the Isthmian Games. And so what would happen is, the judge of those games would sit on the bima seat, an elevated platform, and at the end of the race, all the runners that competed would gather around that bima seat, and it was there that the one that presided over those games would pass out rewards and awards for those who had run well. And they would have a crown of wreath placed upon their head for having won the race or ran well in some way. That's what's in view of the Bema Seat of Christ or the Judgment Seat of Christ. What we learn in the New Testament, don't have time to talk a lot about this, but there are five crowns that Jesus will reward you with at the Judgment Seat of Christ. Five literal crowns. Uh, you read about, for example, 1 Peter 5, the crown of glory. It is the pastor crown or the shepherd's crown. Do you realize that those of you that are group leaders, you are shepherding the flock of God. You are helping your shepherds shepherd the flock. Do you realize every time you have a group meeting that you are earning the shepherd's crown, the crown of glory? Revelation 2 tells us about the crown of life. The crown of life is the martyr's crown. The crown of life is for those that endure tribulation and trial and persecution. Did you know there's one called the crown of righteousness for those that love his appearing, that are anticipating the second coming? There's five crowns altogether, and these are the crowns that's in view of the judgment seat of Christ. It's an award ceremony where you can hear those words from Jesus of Matthew chapter 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm gonna make you a ruler over many things. Enter you into the joy of the Lord, and he puts that crown upon your head. Do you understand that most crowns of this world are fleeting? They don't last forever, but there is a crown. 1 Corinthians 9 says that is imperishable. It's incorruptible. The crown that's imperishable and incorruptible. It will last forever and ever and ever. The question is, what race are you running? Are you running the right race for the right things? Because most human beings are running the wrong race for the wrong things. 
They're running for crowns that are perishable, that are corruptible. And for some of us, we're going to stand before Jesus someday, honestly, with nothing more to show of our life and our labor than an old, broken down, tickle me Elmo. Here it is, Jesus. I mean, the sum of our life and our labor, what we live for, will be nothing more than a cabbage patch doll from the 1980s that has been long ago lost and buried somewhere in a box in somebody's basement. We go for the latest thing, the latest trend, the latest thing that twinkles and sparkles, and in the end, we, we separate ourselves from the greater things because we went for the lesser things. And that's what happens, you see, at the judgment seat of Christ. It's described in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. Look at it with me. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. You see it? At the judgment seat of Christ, each of us will receive our own reward according to our labor. And the apostle Paul was saying, look, one plants and one waters. Hey, here's the deal. We've all been given a different opportunity, a different level of responsibility, different abilities and opportunities. One plants and one waters. But in the end, it's all for God's glory. It's all to advance a kingdom. God uses one person this way, another person this way. But in the end, we all get our reward based on our labor for the Lord. Now watch this. He goes on with even more description. Verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, salvation is the foundation. Jesus laid that foundation. If you don't begin there, nothing else matters. You don't get saved by your work, but you get saved for good works. It all begins first with Christ's work. Until you come to God based on Christ's work, don't bother coming to God to deliver your work. God cannot accept your works until you've accepted Christ's work. 22 people a week ago said, I need the work of Jesus in my life. I need what Jesus did at Calvary. There are others here today. I know for certain you need to come this way as 22 other did last week at the end of this service and say, I need Jesus. That's the foundation in your life. But God isn't done with that foundation. It begins with that foundation. Now look at what it says. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will declare it. So what's happening here? He's equating our work, the labor of our life, the things that we do, what we give our life to, what we sweat for, what we serve, what we sacrifice for, uh, that which we work for. He's saying some of it is like wood, hay, and stubble, and others of it is like gold, silver, and precious stones. The wood, hay, and stubble, quickly perishable. Quickly fades away. The wood, hay, and stubble has no eternal value, but the gold, the silver, precious stones, these are things that lasted forever. And at the judgment seat of Christ, look at what it says. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Understand, there's more than simply fire in hell. There is fire in heaven. Did you know that? This takes place in heaven. And this is not hellfire. This is not judgment fire. This is the refiner's fire. What happens when you put wood, hay, and stubble through the fire? It's gone. Smoke and ashes is all that's left. And Paul is teaching that for some of us, all that will be left of the labor of our life is smoke and ashes. What we gave our life to amounted to nothing more than wood, hay, and stubble. Worn out, tossed out, 2011 editions, of Air Jordans. 
Oh, but we gave a lot for it. We just gave a lot of our life to the wrong things. But there's other things that we do. The eternal works that we do is likened to gold and silver and precious stones. What happens when you put gold, silver, precious stones through the fire? It doesn't destroy it. It doesn't burn it. It refines it. And that goes through the refiner's fire and all the dross is burned off. All the sin in our life. And we come out on the other side of the refiner's fire more purer, more beautiful. Our faith is refined, so now we can give God greater glory forever and ever and ever. Now, if you've been with us in our Revelation study, you know that personally, I'm convinced the church is raptured before the tribulation. I think the weight of evidence is a pre-tribulational rapture. Now listen, there are good and godly people that disagree that would argue for a post-trib rapture, meaning the church goes through the tribulation. And one of the reasons they often share with me that they believe this is, well, the church has to be refined. The church has to be purged, to which I say, absolutely. The body of Christ does need to be purged. We do need to go through the refiner's fire, but I want you to see the refiner's fire is not here. The refiner's fire is there. This is the refiner's fire. We come out on the other side, Revelation 19, as a pure, spotless bride. Now we're adorned in white, white and clean, and that takes us up to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which I don't have time to explain that either. Forget I said that. Forget I said that. Just, I'll explain that later, okay? Or you can go back and listen to the lesson. Now watch this. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he'll receive a reward. The gold, silver, precious stones. If anyone's work is burned, the wood, hay, and stubble, he will suffer loss. Loss of what? Not loss of salvation, not loss of heaven, because that is a gift. It's free. Not built on your work, but Christ's work. Loss of what? Reward. Loss of your awards. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire, the refiner's fire. Here's what he's trying to teach us today. In the kingdom, we will all reign with Christ, but we will not all reign equally with Christ. You see, at the judgment seat of Christ, you will discover your level of authority, responsibility, that you will live with forever in eternity as a part of God's governing administration. Remember Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Check, check this out. You and I, as the bride of Christ, we are destined to reign forever with Christ. We are destined to rule and reign with him over the nations. Of Revelation 1 and verse 6. Revelation 5 in verse 10. He has made us to be both priests and kings. What is our purpose forever in this eternal kingdom? A priest and a king. What is a priest? As a priest, it implies worship. As a king, it implies rulership. As a part of his governing system, we're going to lead the nations in worship, and we're going to reign with Christ in rulership. Now here's the deal, while we will all reign with him, Romans 8, 17, we're children of God, and if children of God, then heirs of God, and heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. While we all reign with him, we're not all gonna reign equally with him, because awards can be lost, and awards can be won. What this means is every single day, you're either being promoted or demoted in the kingdom. Now, I'm convinced if Jesus did not want to motivate us with this knowledge, he wouldn't have shared it with us. 
Every single day, your eyes ought to be on the kingdom. Am I being promoted or demoted? As you stand one day at the Bema seat of Christ, he's going to put a crown upon your head. Uh, the Greeks had two words for crown. We have one word for crown. The Greeks had two. One word was diadem. Diadem implied that crown of an emperor or a Caesar, that kind of king, a monarch. But that's not the word when it talks about the five crowns at the judgment seat of Christ that can be awarded by Christ. The word there is Stephanos. Stephanos was the crown that that one at the Isthmian Games or Olympic Games would have placed upon the head of those that ran well. The Stephanos was placed upon them. That's a victor's crown. And the implication here is that while you will get a crown, you have the chance for many, many crowns. And with many more crowns comes greater authority, greater responsibility as you rule and reign with Jesus for all of eternity. So the question is this, if you died today and you stood before Jesus, would you be promoted or demoted? It's based on your works. It's based on the labor. What are you giving your life for? Tickle me, Elmo's. Or the things that matter and the things that really last forever. You see, Jesus will not judge us for what we had, but what we did with what we had. He's not going to judge you for what you didn't have. He's going to judge you for what you did have, and more specifically, what you did with what you have. You see, we don't all have the same stuff. We don't all have the same ability. We don't all have the same opportunities. Uh, you should go home today and read the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25. Here's the parable of the talents. So in the parable of the talents, Jesus says in Matthew 25, there's a man, a very wealthy man, who's traveling to a far country. You know who the man is, right? The man is, this is the advanced class. Yeah, it's Jesus. Good answer. Good guess. Good guess. Yeah, it's Jesus. So this man's going to the far country. He's in heaven right now. He's gone away. He's gone away on a long trip. This is the parable. And he calls three of his laborers to him. He calls three of his, of his stewards to him. And it says he gives to them his estate to watch over while he's gone. They're stewards, not owners. A steward is a manager. And it says he gave each of them to their own ability. See, we don't have the same ability. He's not given to each of us equally. But he's going to judge us equally, not for how much we had, but for what we did with what we have. And so it says that he gave one five talents. Now, in Jesus' day, a talent was a sum of money. It was a large sum of money. But I'm convinced personally this parable doesn't just have to do with how we manage God's money that he gives us to us, but rather our whole life. It represents everything he's given us. Because check this out. Nothing you have as a Christian belongs to you. It all belongs to God. Whatever I am and whatever I have, it all came from him. It all belongs to him. I'm not an owner. I'm a steward. I'm a manager of what is his. So he gives one guy five talents. It says he invested those five talents into kingdom causes. He doubled the five, made it ten. So when he stood before this man to settle up with him, he said, here's the five you gave me, and here's five more. He was rewarded accordingly. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter you into the joy of your Lord. Now, it says he gave another man two talents. He didn't have as much as the first guy. He had two talents, but he was equally faithful as the first guy. He took the two talents, invested it in things that mattered for eternity. He made the two four. So when he stood before the man, he hears the same words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm gonna make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. They were rewarded equally, even though they didn't have equal ability or equal opportunity. They were equally faithful. 
But this other guy, the third guy, he'd been given one talent. You know what it says he did instead? He buried it in the earth. He didn't use it. And the moral of this parable, if you don't lose it, use it, you're gonna lose it. You see, he squandered it, he wasted it. And you know what Jesus says to this servant? He doesn't say, well done. He says, you wicked and slothful and lazy servant. L-A-Z-Y, you ain't got no alibi. I'm paraphrasing there. I'm reading between the lines. It doesn't actually say that, okay? I know. Don't email me tomorrow. I know. I'm paraphrasing. You see what he's saying? God's not going to judge you for what you didn't have. He's going to judge you for what you did have and how you use what you had. Did you leverage it for eternity? You see, every single day, we should be asking ourselves questions about, am I living for things that matter or things that will not last forever? Jesus will reward us in his kingdom based on whether we were wasteful or faithful with all he'd given us. So if today was the day of the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus began to weigh the labor of your life, would you be able to say I was faithful or wasteful? As you get ready to see the king, and we're all gonna see him someday, you should be asking yourself three questions every day. Here it is. To get ready for this due date. And this due date is absolutely going to happen. We will all see him. All right, the first question is this. Am I being wasteful or faithful with my opportunities? 19 years ago, God gave me an opportunity to leave my chosen career, to follow God's calling. I left the police department to become a pastor. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity. It is completely radically altered eternity. God gives you the same opportunities every day, every single day. Mike Morgan sits right here on the front row every week. Mike, I'm gonna talk about you, okay? Sorry. Mike is not a pastor. He doesn't have that title. But guess what he does? He pastors. Mike, you're gonna get the crown of glory at the judgment seat of Christ, whether you ever have the title. Mike has pastored and shepherded dozens if not hundreds of men in this church through our men's ministry completely radically changing the trajectory of people's destinies eternally. God gave him that opportunity. He said yes to Jesus. Nobody told him. He's got a trucking company. Guess what he says? I've got a ministry disguised as a trucking company. His employees are his ministry. They are his flock. One of them sits right there behind him. And there. And there. That's a ministry disguised as a trucking company. There's, there's a guy in our church, he has, a, he has a roofing company, Dustin Dahl, guess what it is? It's a ministry disguised as a roofing company. Employees are coming to Christ, putting their faith in him. Several guys, one of them's out here in between services I talked to, he just started a baseball club, a little league competitive team, travel team. Listen, it's not about baseball. He's got a ministry disguised as a baseball team. 
See, you have opportunities I don't have. You have a sphere that I can't reach. You have more leverage in people's life than I'll ever have. God's given you that opportunity. He's given you abilities. Are you being wasteful or faithful with your abilities? There's a lady in our church, Pat Jennings. Many of you know her, because I'll tell you why you know her. Same reason I do. She's taught your children the Bible like she taught my children the Bible. And 20 years ago, before I'd even become the pastor, my children just toddlers. And guess who their Sunday school teacher was? Pat Jennings. And 20 years later, guess what she's still doing? teaching children the Word of God 20 years later faithfully because God gave her the opportunity and she's leveraging her ability. You better believe she's got a reward coming at the judgment seat of Christ. No, the world will never know her name. She'll never be some famous preacher that'll be known forever in the pages of history, but her name's gonna echo and ring for all of eternity. That's what God wants from everybody. Everybody has a little bit of ability, a little bit of opportunity. Some of you, honestly, you're like me. You're, you're getting to that age of the empty nest. And I've watched this happen. Families and couples deeply engaged in church, serving in ministry while their kids are little. The kids grow up. And I watch this, guys. I'm telling you, because I, I understand. I'm there as an empty nest. The kids grow up and I watch families all of a sudden, they, they, they step away from ministry and they start living kind of, you know, increasingly for me. Well, you know, I did my time and now this is, you know, their time and now it's my time. And, and uh, all of a sudden you've got some money you didn't used to have because, you know, I'll put it to you this way. I'm about to make my last tuition payment ever to the University of Arkansas. I'm getting a pay raise. Yeah. You got college tuition behind you and, you know, you're not paying for all the Little League games and soccer cleats and piano lessons and all that stuff. You got all that paid for that's behind you. And, you know, I got two married kids now. That means I'm, you know, I'm paying for two less cars on insurance. I'm gassing up two less cars. It's awesome. You know, you get to that time, like, hey, empty nest is awesome. You get more money than you've ever had. You're not paying for all their stuff. Now they're paying for their own. They're off, they're off your payroll. You get more time. In some ways, more, more, more time because you're not chasing your kids around everywhere. And all of a sudden, watch this though. You start, you start leveraging it now for self. I've watched it happen. No longer leveraging it in ministry for the things that matter for eternity. I'm just trying to tell you, if you're at that time of life like I am, you're in that season, we are entering prime time. We are hitting our prime. I'm sorry, 20s is not prime. Forget it. I've been there. 30s, you're not prime either. I've been there. 40s, you're getting there, but you're not there yet. 50s is the prime of life, man. 60s is the prime of life. 70s is prime of life. Yeah. You got a chance to do things now you couldn't have never done before because kids took so much of time. How will you use it? This is your moment not to retire, but refire for the things that matter forever. Some of you here, you're 60, 70, or 80 years of age, and you think, well, you know, I've pretty much been put out to pasture. I'm too old to really matter. No, no, no. Think about this for just a moment. Of all the funerals you've been to, so far, none of them have been yours. <laughs> you know why? Because God still has a job for you to do. God's not done with you. He's not through. 
The question is, what will you do? You have opportunities, you have abilities. Listen, you have a certain amount of money and we need to get out of the ownership mentality. Our money is not my money. Our money is God's money. He gives some financial ability to everybody. Kristen and I made the decision early on in our marriage, we're gonna live below our means, not at our means, not just above our means. You know why? Because we're gonna have a certain amount of our money go for kingdom causes that will matter for all of eternity. What if you began to carefully and prayerfully think about positioning yourself financially where you can contribute money to things that really matter, that are really gonna last forever? 2% of Christians in America actually practice the biblical guide of the tithe. 2%, that's it. A tithe is 10% by definition. But check this out, God isn't just interested in your 10%, he's interested in the other 90% too. It all belongs to him. And you see, our mentality is, well, wait a minute, if, if I give it all to God, then I won't have enough left for me. Here's what God is trying to promise you. Listen, if you'll make God's kingdom your first priority, God's gonna promote you in eternity. You're not gonna have less, you're gonna have more. Look at what he says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. No, this isn't a prosperity theology. I'm not suggesting if you're faithful financially that you're gonna be financially wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. It's not what the Bible promises, but he is promising you're gonna have enough. Maybe not for all your wants, but for all your needs. Jesus is signing off, these are his last words. The Apostle John's about to put his pen down. And until we see him personally, this is the last thing that Jesus will say in his written revelation, verses 20 and 21 of Revelation 22. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly, amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Now in the Greek, that doesn't mean I'm coming instantly. It's been 2000 years. This word in the Greek means when I get ready to make my move, I'm coming quick. You will not have time for second chances. You won't have time to hit the rewind. He's saying, look, nobody gets to choose when they die. Nobody gets to choose even how they're gonna die, but we do get to choose how we're going to live. How will you live? And for what will you live? The things that matter, that last forever or things that will one day decay and fade away. Are you ready to see the king? Listen, time is fading fast and only what's done for Christ will last. We're gonna take the Lord's Supper today. You might know this in your tradition, perhaps as communion, but if you've been born again, if you placed your faith in him, you're welcome at the Lord's table. And I can't think of a better time than right before Christmas as we celebrate the greatest due date ever in history, as we anticipate the next due date that's yet to come. The Apostle Paul would write these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread Men and women, whoever you will be serving the elements, why don't you come right now and just prepare. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Basically, the apostle Paul is saying, we need to take this seriously. Don't trivialize at all what Jesus did at Calvary. He says we should have a time of self-examination, introspection, for personal confession. Don't take of this cup and eat of this bread while you're harboring sin, rebellion against God. So we're gonna have a time right now, personal confession, a time of introspection, and any sin that God would bring to your mind right now, just confess it to him privately, right where you sit. Jesus, we thank you. We have that promise of 1 John 1 in verse 9 that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, thank you that we have a mediator, that Jesus is our intercessor. We need not another. That 2,000 years ago, the sinless Son of God came like the sons of men so that the sons of men could be redeemed from their sin, entering a kingdom that would be without end. On the night before his death, he was celebrating the Passover with his Jewish followers. The Jews would take a bread, but it wasn't, un, it wasn't any kind of bread, it was unleavened bread. Leaven in the Bible, a picture of sin. And this night, the bread would take on a whole new meaning for that bread would speak of the sinless bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ that was giving his body to be broken and beaten on our behalf. Throughout the Bible, the cup, the fruit of the vine, or wine, it's a picture of blood. For there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And they would take of the Passover lamb they would shed the blood of that lamb. And 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that Jesus became our Passover, the Lamb of God slain for our sin. And at Christmas, what do we celebrate? God became a man to become that sacrificial lamb. Be sure as the plate goes by to pick up both the cup and the bread at one time.
chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And those words came back to those Jewish followers on this night as he picked up the bread, the unleavened bread. Leaven in the Bible being a picture of sin. You see, Jesus is the unleavened bread, the sinless bread of life was about to be broken. He said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we take of this bread to remember, lest we ever forget that the sinless Son of God took our sin, broken on our behalf. You were bruised to buy our freedom. You were flogged to ease our pain, and by your stripes, we are healed. Jesus, thank you that you gave your body to be broken on our behalf for our sin. Sweet friends, listen carefully, 22 people a week ago came saying, I need Jesus. There are others here today that still need to do the same. Jesus said this do in remembrance of me. This is not how we receive him. This is how we remember him. Hey, you received him, you receive him by faith. This is a symbol of our salvation, not the source. He took the cup, and that night it would take on a whole new meaning, where he's about to shed his blood as our Passover lamb. He said, take this cup of the New Testament, a new covenant, one of grace, for you're saved by grace through faith. He said, do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we do drink of this cup to remember the first time you came to bear the cross. You're coming the second time for the crown. The first time you came to suffer, you're coming the second time to conquer. And Lord, we thank you that you came in a cradle so that you could go to the cross and you're coming back one day to wear a crown. And God, we're thankful that we can be a part of that kingdom that is and that kingdom that is yet to come. Lord, as the Apostle John wrote, as he signed off the book of Revelation, we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We love you. Help us to live for you. Help us to bring you great glory in all that we do in time and eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you glorify him with me? Praise him, would you? Love you guys a whole bunch. Hope you have a really, really Merry Christmas. Hope to see you tomorrow. We're gonna have some amazing Christmas Eve services, first time in a long time. We're gonna have a real candlelight ceremony as a part of Christmas Eve. Listen, if you wanna know more about knowing Jesus, meet me right here at this platform. The rest of you, God go with you. Peace be to you.